0: Right. This is the uh, next to the last study, Lord willing, in our series on the word as a means of grace. And uh, we've come to the last question in the section, which is not the one that's up there. Uh, The last question in the section on the word as a means of grace in the larger catechism is about how we are to hear the preaching of the word. And what I want to do at the beginning is uh, review a little bit. I plan to take two weeks on that question, but. I want to uh, review a little bit at the beginning this week, and I think you'll see uh, why, I hope you'll see why I'm doing what I'm doing. But uh, part of the review then is just to go back to the first two catechism questions we looked at. So sorry, my margins didn't work out very well. It looked good on my computer. um, So question 154 of the larger catechism, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? And the answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. Now, the reason I wanted to start here is that the last catechism question on the word as a means of grace, as I said, focuses on our duty, our duty in hearing the word and how we need to hear the word, how to prepare for hearing the word. So lots of things that we're supposed to do. And it's uh, very easy, I think, in the midst of uh, imperatives like that to forget the gracious gift that God has given us. And so I want to back up, which is really the way I began the this this series and think about uh, the reason God has made us and the gracious way in which he has worked to draw us to himself. So. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God created us for communion. And even uh, after the fall, that purpose uh, never changed. So, so we enjoy communion with God, though, in a, in a particular way. And it's because of the work of Christ. Uh, and I didn't put up the question before 154, but the, it is uh, our ability to escape the wrath and curse of God because of the work of Christ that's really the context of this study. So the question is well so how does that how does that come to us if if uh, God has destined us for communion with him as if his purpose is to draw us to himself if he has loved us so much in that that he has uh, sent his son to be our savior and given us his spirit to have communion with him so what does that actually look like in practice that's sort of the the question that would naturally come up and that's the question that comes up in the the larger catechism And that's, the answer is basically question 154. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? Okay, so that's kind of, I don't know, formal language. It is the fact that we are united to Christ. So how do we enjoy communion with Christ? And it's, the short answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ. But then what does that look like? What is it that the Holy Spirit is doing? And how does Christ give us all the riches he has purchased for us, to use a uh, one metaphor of the scriptures? And the answer is, in question 154, he gives us his ordinances, especially the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Now, if you're sort of tracking with what the first part of what I said, you might come to the second part and say, what, the word, sacraments, and prayer? That seems like, so simple that seems uh, perhaps uh, unimpressive in proportion to the impressiveness of the salvation. If we have communion with God, does that mean we really need the word and sacraments in prayer? Couldn't we have done something sort of more impressive to deliver the benefits of this communion? And I I, uh, I made this point in the introduction, and I, I want to make it again. One of the main things that we may be tempted to do if not consciously but unconsciously is to sort of in that way despise the means that God has appointed and I mentioned before this uh this account of uh in second kings five of uh, Naaman so Naaman was the commander of the army of Assyria but he was a leper and uh so he he heard from uh, a maid servant who was from Israel about this this guy Elisha in Israel who could heal people and so his king said, sent a you know letter to the king of Israel and said, I want you to heal this guy. Which is a really it's a, it's this sort of typical Jewish sense of humor. It's very subtle, but you know, like, whoa, what am I supposed to do here? So, but the point of the story I want to focus on is that you know, Naaman goes there and uh, he says he wants to be healed. Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha sends a messenger to him, says, Go bathe in the Jordan so many times and you'll be healed. And Naaman's reaction is exactly this despising of the means. It's like, I thought he would do something impressive, he says. You know, he's going to come out and wave his arms over me and say something. And 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 besides, you know, our rivers and Syria are a lot better than the Jordan. If I want to take a bath, I could go back there. Why do, I, why do I need to do that? And what's really interesting about this uh, passage, which I only noticed in rereading it yesterday, is that it's his servants who say, but... Elisha promised that you would be healed if you did this. And that's what convinced him. He said, okay, I'll do it. And of course, he was healed, and there's there's a lot more to the story than that. But it's it's striking that it's it's the simple word of promise and the response of faith, which is willing to say, okay, if you say you're going to bless me by this means, I'll believe you, and I'll make use of it. And that's the... the uh, the way we need to approach the means of grace also. There may be times when we don't think, you know, that gathering in an auditorium with other people to hear a message about the Bible is really the best way to help us. But we should remember, it's a simple promise of God to do so. And that's more or less what we spent several weeks looking at. Um, I'm not going to review completely. But just to... Just to highlight one aspect of that, and that is um, that the, these means which are given here, the word, the sacraments, and prayer, they're not the only ones, as I pointed before, but it's they're the, uh, the ones that are especially emphasized in the catechism and in the word also in the context of the fellowship of the saints and lots of other things. But uh, I want to just look at the, the next catechism question. Again, briefly, this is a long one. Um, about how the word is made effectual to salvation. Because this also is important for us in thinking about hearing the word. So what are all the things that God has promised to do as he works through his spirit by the word? It's a very impressive list, right? It starts with the beginning of uh, making, a, enlightening us and convicting us and humbling us. If you want to think of that as the beginning of the Christian life, it's actually over and over in the Christian life. but he drives us out of ourselves, draws us to Christ, he conforms us to his image, he subdues us to his will, he strengthens us against temptations and corruptions, he builds us up in grace and establishes our hearts in holiness and comfort through faith and to salvation. So just let those things uh, sink into your mind we We spent uh, some a fair amount of time discussing those, but those those are the things that God has promised in his word. And it's only a summary of a lot of different passages of scripture that the spirit will do, especially by the preaching of the word. That's what it says here, especially the preaching of the word is an effectual means. It's it's what God does to accomplish his purpose in giving us communion with Christ. That is in bringing us to glory to that final uh, fruition of all things and in in beholding God in eternity forever. So again, I want to emphasize this, even though we talked about it at the beginning, because when we start to talk about our duties and we say things like, okay, well, you know, you sort of need to get your house in order before you come to church. And, you know, you need to do this and do do that. Well, then it just sounds like, okay, God put all this stuff on us to do. And you know, what has he done for us? But it's really completely the other way around. It's It's God's grace in drawing us into communion, into his own life. And it's the work of the spirit throughout. All of this is the work of the spirit to uh, bring us the benefits of Christ's mediation. That he he is the one who reveals Christ to us and causes us to enjoy Christ, you might say, in uh, all of these ways. So I, I, I thought that sort of review, we talked about this before, and I tried to bring that up again and again, but is especially important when we come to our duties and hearing the word. It sounds like, okay, I got to go to church and sit through this lecture or whatever. That's not what it is, but it is easy to forget um, the uh, importance of that. So in short, the, the catechism is really saying that God works in a in a gradual way in us. He, he can work in very sudden ways over the course of the Christian life, and certainly in regeneration he works in, a, in an amazing way uh, at the beginning. But, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's a week-by-week growth where you may feel like you're not going anywhere or maybe you're going backwards. And that's why the use of the means requires uh, faith, like just like Naaman's faith, to believe the promises of God and it also requires repentance of, you know, our sort of despising the means, whether consciously or unconsciously, and, and turning away from uh, a false attitude toward God's word and uh, the preaching of the word. So that, uh, that's a, a longer introduction. Today I'm only planning to cover like the first third of the actual catechism we're going to talk about. But I, I want to uh, read that now and then uh, look at a scripture passage and then we'll get out of the introduction. Uh, This is a really long introduction, but um, here's the question then the last one in this section, as I mentioned, uh, which is um, what is required of those who hear the word uh, preached? So let me read it. As I said, we're only planning to cover today the first part of it, but the answer is, it is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation and prayer Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. So that means discuss it with others. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. By the way, the Shorter Catechism, as the name implies, has a shorter answer to a very similar question and is very memorable it's a, it's a good uh, sort of summary of that uh, larger catechism answer. So to think about this in terms of the uh, biblical imperative, I'd like to turn to uh, Luke chapter 8. We'll look at uh, verses 4 through 14. Uh, sorry, 4 through 18. Um, and uh, here I'll, con- I'll confess that it was actually very difficult for me to pick uh, sort of one passage to meditate on ahead of time. Um, Just think about how often in the Bible people are called to listen to God. Okay, I mean, over and over again in the Old Testaments, you can hear that the Psalms. I actually had initially picked out Psalm 81 and then Psalm 95. Uh, You read in the prophets again and again, uh, hear God's word. That's the command. And and often attended with that is because I have loved you, because I've saved you. And uh, here are all the benefits of hearing God's word. So it's it's sort of like what I was saying in the introduction, although in uh, you know in different contexts, especially in the Old Testament. So uh, instead of looking at that, which we, maybe next week, since we have another intro to do for next week, uh, we'll look at one of those. I want to look at uh, Luke uh, chapter eight, uh, beginning at verse uh, four and reading through verse eighteen. This is a familiar section—the parable of the sower, the explanation, but uh, especially Jesus' application of it. And when a great multitude had gathered, they had come to him from every city. He spoke by, it, and they had come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and, are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear for whoever has to him more will be given and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. So, as I said, this is a familiar passage and obviously the topic is the the word or the dispersal of the word, but especially the response uh, to the word. And uh, Jesus here, uh, the master teacher, the master preacher, uh, last week when I was talking about simplicity in preaching, uh, you could think of Jesus, right? His his messages were not uh, filled with, you know, uh, obscure ideas or impressive oratory. There is a, a beauty and eloquence in what he says, but he uses common everyday uh, examples like sowers sowing their seeds and uh, is thus a, a model for preaching in that way. But here, as he speaks about the word, uh, first he gives the parable, and then his disciples in verse nine ask him, "What does it mean?" And then he he says something, which is very striking. He he makes it clear, just as the parable does, that uh, not all who hear the word benefit by the word. Right? The the parable clearly has that, and he gives the explanation after this, but. He says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but the rest it is given in parables. Part of the point of the parable was, of course, to explain by a a homely illustration the truth of the gospel, but also um, to obscure the truth, uh, you might say, to to harden those who are already hardened, uh, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And I think uh, that warning, which comes again at the end of this passage, is important in the context of coming to hear the word. That is, there's there's never a neutral response to the word. You can't go away from hearing the word unchanged. Right. It may be that you hear and benefit, but it may be that seeing you, you don't see that. That's the response that uh, is in your heart because you refuse to uh, hear God that. Uh, you are even more confused than you were before, uh, then he gives the explanation and and this you can think of as uh, reinforcing what I said elsewhere in the Old Testament uh, calls to hear God. You can see the the richness of the distribution of the word right it 's not like he he focuses only on one on one part the 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 word is is sown, you might say broadly there are those by the wayside there're those on the rock and so forth the The word is dispersed. Uh, generously. And he, then he describes the, the various responses to the word. I'm not going to spend as much time on that. I, th- I think we're familiar with that. Uh, but I especially want to focus on uh, really the, the last verse of this, um, the warning to take heed and also the call in uh, backing up to verse eight. After Jesus gave the parable, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a call to hear the word of God. It's uh, actually very closely connected with the call in each of the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. uh, Let the one who has ears hear what the spirit says to the churches. So it it seems like a pretty simple, maybe unnecessary thing, but it is pay attention, listen to the word of God. But then uh, at verse 18, uh, it says, therefore, take heed. Not to hear, but how you hear the word of God. Now, Dave preached a sermon on this, and I thought it was recent, but it was actually 20 years ago on this passage. And it's a, it's a very uh, thought-provoking passage, and it fits very well with what the larger catechism is saying. Or maybe I should say it the other way around since this is inspired. The larger catechism you can think of as an expansion of this statement in verse 18. Take heed how you hear. It's not just that you're there that you're hearing. That's our duty. But it's also how we hear. And there's a a promise and a warning attached to that. The one who has, to him more will be given. And the one who does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away from him. It's really the lesson that Jesus told his uh, disciples in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Some benefit uh, when they receive the word with faith. But uh, those who don't... uh, even what they seem to have will be taken away from them. Okay, so this is a sober, uh, it's a sobering statement. And uh, some of what we'll be talking about in this is sobering, which is why I really want to emphasize at the beginning that the graciousness of God. But, but we are called to hear and we're all, we are called to be careful how we hear. And we're going to expand on that. Uh, I mean, I wanted to read a sort of meditate on one passage, which uh, put these thoughts together in one place. Uh, And a lot more. But uh, that's the that's really the the call of Christ to us uh, to hear and to pay attention how we hear, what heart it is we hear with. Are we responsive to God's word? And it's not that, you know, well, that message wasn't for me. um, I didn't get anything out of it. It's it's really a warning that um, if you refuse to hear the word of God, you'll you'll be worse off than you were, which is a very sobering statement. Okay, that was a 20-minute introduction. Uh, (laughs) Any comments or questions so far? Okay, we do look really sober this morning. I guess that's my fault. Yes, Liz. Um, In your beginning introduction, Mm -hmm. you talked about the word, prayer, and the second Right. mm -hmm. And, And just to, to minimize those things and say, you know, that's ridiculous. We don't need to do that. Seems to me, too, um to refuse to see how wonderful they are. Yeah, and they're really quite. It's quite wonderful we have the Word of God. That God has spoken to us. That has been preserved all these many years. That that we have the means to approach the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That um, that. That we have the sacraments to speak to us through visible means, through through not tangible means. Those are not those are not simple things. No, they're not. Um, Yeah, you've been indoctrinated or catechized or whatever the right word is. No, that's that's right. Uh, uh, You know, the river of Jordan was better than the rivers of Syria for that purpose because God had appointed it to that end, and the same thing with the ordinances that God has appointed. as I mentioned before, you know, there's there's this phrase in the Heidelberg Catechism, we shouldn't be wiser than God. But God, but God has graciously explained the benefits that we get, and that's what you're talking about. And he, there are rich promises attached to it, uh, to those. Thank you. Other comments? Yes. When you were mentioning this word or sacrifice, I was also wondering about the worship other uh, other ways where things are added like smells and does Yeah. Uh, so is that I yeah. Where were you... Well I was just I mean, that seemed to me to be enough that's what I first thought of when you thought about you know making
1: these some kind of small pattern, like something impressive. Yeah. Well, well
0: yeah you it's can get a fog machine that's impressive. Right. That we, have green we have lights here. They don't flash exactly, but yeah. If uh, Now, that's a good point. It's interesting you should mention that because um, this uh, comment about not being wiser than God is in the Heidelberg Catechism on the Second Commandment, which is specifically they, they make it about uh, not making images of God, uh, but um, that's what violations of the second commandment broadly understood in the reform world involve, right? that They're basically saying, God gave us this, but we think these things would be better, like fog or, I mean, you can name a number of things that are ridiculous, but uh, they are maybe more impressive than than some people might assess the, the means God has appointed. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that's one tendency is not... Uh, is to devalue the the ordinary means of grace by coming up with your extraordinary means of <laughs> entertainment or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. At least for a while, and then you have to try something else, probably. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so now uh, we're going to cover the first third or so. Let's see here in the uh, in this catechism question. Um, if you look at uh, studies about hearing the word, and yes, the Puritans thought a lot about this, um, you can see typically an outline of what we should do before the word is preached, what we should do while the word is preached, and what we should do after the word is preached. OK, sounds like Puritan sort of distinction. The, the larger catechism question roughly follows that. I wouldn't say it's exactly uh, organized that way, but it, it roughly follows that outline. Um, to, so a commentary on the Shorter Catechism by Thomas Vincent has some really helpful comments. And I'm sure it's, it's a Puritan paperback, but I'm sure it's available uh, on the Internet for free. And um, also a series of sermons by James Durham on the Ten Commandments. Uh, and the Second Commandment, he uh, has a list of, um, that corresponds to before, after, and during. However, since I'm not sure completely why, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, but he lists them as sins that we commit before and sins we commit during and sins we commit after. And I'm actually going to use Durham because he, he really gives very helpful summaries. But uh, the catechism is in the you know sort of positive vein. So I'm going to reword him uh, to sort of to, to duties that we should do uh, in connection with that. So if I could summarize what the what we should do before the word is preached, it is. Uh, that we should uh, it's a it's a call to diligent preparation, okay so um, you know if you want an analogy if if you're going on a trip and you're going to visit some historic site, say maybe a you know a civil war battleground or something like that, you would do some things ahead of time to get ready. you'd do some reading, you would try to map out what you're going to do, uh, you'd make plans for your trip. Uh, it's it 's something like that in terms of uh, every lord 's day and especially uh, in thinking about the preaching of the word it 's worth preparing for okay, that's that 's really what i 've tried to lead up to and and uh, just in general terms that 's a call uh, not to be passive in receiving god 's word Now anyone who 's ever taught students knows what passive learning is i 'm not sure passive learning may be a contradiction in terms uh, but uh, this is a this is a call not to be that but to positively anticipate God's blessing on the preached word that's the promise and we'll we'll come back to that but that's the promise again and again that the word preached in faith will bring uh, and received in faith will will uh, bring great blessings so part of diligent preparation is just anticipation thinking of the promises of God and then like I said we're going to try to spill that uh, Spell that out. We may spell it out, too. But um, uh, first, uh, the first point I want to consider is how we should think of coming in to hear God's word and the presence of God. So I'll, I'll read Durham. There are a couple of points that he makes in connection with this. And again, I'm, I'm rephrasing a little bit uh, of what he says. He says we should come with expectation of and longing for the presence of God and meeting with him. Uh, That's his 11th of 12 sins. (laughs) And the 12th is uh, we should come with respect from respect to the honor of God, not out of conscience, but from. Sorry, I have to do these negatives and now they're double negatives. We should come out of respect to the honor of God and out of conscience, not from custom or for the fashion. And I think custom would just be doing it out of habit. I mean, habits, good habits are good, but that shouldn't be the only reason we come in. For the fashion, uh, you know, maybe they were like the Bible belt and people went to church just because that was the thing to do. But uh, for that, I'd like to turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. Um, yeah, it's up there. E- Ezekiel chapter 33. Don't get a lot of scripture references to Ezekiel, uh this is a really uh fascinating section of Ezekiel. I think a lot of the sections are Ezekiel are fascinating just require some work ezekiel thirty three so Ezekiel has been preaching these he's preaching to the exiles right so this is like the first wave of people who were exiled to uh, Babylon and he had predicted by the spirit the fall of Jerusalem so earlier in the chapter the news had reached the exiles that in fact Jerusalem had fallen and uh, it's interesting to see so The people started coming to him to hear him preach, maybe because, you know, the prophecy had been fulfilled. Uh, But. uh, Yeah, I'll just read the passage, Uh, Ezekiel 33, beginning at verse 30. uh, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Sounds good, right? Uh, Then, so they come to you as people do and sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Um, this, you know, the lovely song, uh, some translations have it more like a body song or something like that. But uh, it seems that the people are coming for entertainment, right? So, so this is the other side of the simplicity of preaching that we were talking about last week. what well, this is, you know, really great to hear this guy. He's He's got a lot of things to say. So he does all these weird things, you know, it's, it's entertaining to come and hear him. But they have no intention of doing what he says. Okay? That's the opposite of what this point is about. You're not coming to be entertained. You're not coming um, because that's what everyone does. Um, you're instead coming because you're entering uh, the presence of God. And so in contrast to Ezekiel, um, Acts 10:33, I think Henry's got that one. Uh, so while you're, before you read it, I'll just give the context. Acts 10, this is uh, Peter coming to Cornelius uh, after Cornelius has seen this vision of the angel. And it's amazing to read the passage to see Cornelius' anticipation of the blessing of God speaking through Peter. And he, all these people are gathered to him in his household, and uh, it seems like others are just gathered in anticipation of that. Acts 10, 33. So I said to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So he's, he's saying to Peter, we're glad you came. But we're gathered in the presence of God to hear what God has to say. Uh, I used to go to a church where that verse was in the bulletin every week. And it, it really is a good way to to think about the fact that when we come, we're not just assembling in um, mm-hmm you know, this little place in Stillwater. I mean, other saints are gathering in other places in Stillwater and so on. We're gathering before the presence of God. It's the, He is the one who has called us. He is the one who has promised to bless us through the ministry of his word. So uh, as Vincent says on this point, consider the majesty of God and esteem his word. So that's the, the first part of uh, preparation is to put your mind in that frame. Uh, The second is uh, to uh, examine yourself and uh, to turn away from sin. And this is, uh, you might say, not uh, certainly something you you could do or should do the night before or the morning of, but this is more of a a pattern of life and thinking of how you're walking before God. So Durham uh, says uh, we should set ourselves to be in a spiritual composed frame for such a work. And then he does talk about um, uh, the need for... Coming, uh, desiring to hear the word, and for that I, I'd like to read First uh, Corinthians three one through three. And I, brethren, did not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envies, strife, and divisions among you, are you not and behaving like you are men? Okay, so this is again, uh, we're talking about preparation for hearing the word, but it's not something you just do like the night before this is This is a call to examination of whether your life is a hindrance to your profiting from the word, and he lays it out to the Corinthians you know your your squabbles among yourselves they prevent you from going further in the Christian faith, from really profiting from the word the way you should. It's a very sobering message, and uh, there are others like that. That's really the sort of thing that Jesus is saying in uh, Luke 8 that we talked about. It's uh, it's who we are. It's the frame of mind and the pattern of life that will also determine how we benefit from the word of God. Okay, uh, I'm going through these Pretty quickly, um, the next one uh, put aside prejudice. So that's uh, Durham's word, and you might say that you should not come to church to find fault, especially not to find fault with the preacher or the preaching. Okay, now I want to just say right away that later on in the Catechism it does call us to examine what we hear. So there's nothing wrong with searching the Scriptures in response to the Word, but this is the kind of carping attitude. And I didn't put up there, but, you know, you can see Jesus' opponents do that. They asked him questions just so they could find a contradiction in what he said. They were there because they were prejudiced against him. That's a bad attitude to come to church with. That's a bad attitude to develop. Um, We should be there not to find fault, but to um, hear what God is uh, giving us. And. Maybe uh, most important in terms of preparation is to pray. And here I have uh, three points uh, that I want to mention in connection with this. Let me let me just say here that uh, a lot of what I've been saying sounds like something that an individual would do. And it is. I mean, you have to examine our own hearts and uh, and and prepare ourselves. But uh, here, especially in prayer, you can think of including others, uh, family or corporate prayer for God's blessing in uh in the service. So the first thing uh, I would mention in connection with this is to uh, pray for God's blessing on the hearers. Uh, that means on yourself, and on the others who hear the word of God. And whenever you pray, the best thing you could do is to pray God's promises, because then you know he said he's going to do it and your faith is strengthened. So Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So thank you. So that's, that's a familiar passage. In the context, the, the purpose that God mentions is one of blessing. And so we can plead that promise that God's word would indeed bring its uh, intended end in, in our lives. I will say though again that the purpose of God uh, could be uh, for further uh, darkness if those for those who come unwilling to profit by the Word. but we should pray for God's uh, blessing on the hearing of the word. We should plead that God's glory and honor are shown, and the clear uh, proclamation of the word, but especially in the reception of the word uh, by God's people. Uh, we should also pray for the preacher. Okay. This is a very important thing and uh, easy to forget, but it's it's remarkable how often the Apostle Paul asked that. So I just picked one of these references. So let's turn to Colossians uh, 4 2 through 4 together. I didn't put up other references. Ephesians 6, you know, after the the armor of God, he, he puts in a request for himself. And uh, apparently I can't find passages and talk at the same time. Sorry, uh, Colossians 4. Um, and uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he, he also makes a request. But, but here in uh, Colossians 4, uh, beginning of verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Okay, so that's a general command. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I might make it, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Well, there's a little outline for your prayer for the preacher, right? So the opening a door for the word, um, that he would be able to speak the mystery of Christ. I hope our pastor is not in chains, but um, that, you know, that it may be clear as it ought to be. Those are good things to pray for in, in remembering the one who will be preaching the word of God to us. But uh, third of all, uh, as a matter of prayer, and this probably should have been first, uh, but we should give thanks to God. Um, So Durham's sixth point is we should bless God for it and for any good received before by it. So if we're anticipating a blessing, we should also thank God ahead of time for the promised blessing But also, as uh, you know, as Liz and others were saying, as for the goodness of God's gift to us of giving us preaching, we should be thankful ahead of time that God has uh, given this gift to us even before we uh, anticipate and uh, participate in it. Okay, Um, let me let me go on to the. If you're counting, this is like those are three things under prayer. There's a fifth thing under uh, general in terms of preparation, and that is um, that's a, to take care of practical matters ahead of time. And uh, I, you may have listened to discussions about this in terms of the Lord's Day or in terms of the worship service in general. I think uh, this uh, 3GT uh, that uh, is on General Reformation site had a discussion of this. Uh, they're just things that you can do ahead of time so that you're in a better frame of mind to uh, to come to preaching. And I thought actually here I would pause and ask if you have things that you found helpful that get you ready. Maybe not, again, necessarily for preaching, but just being able to go to church um, without being too frazzled. Things that people want to mention that you found helpful to do. Vicky. Vicki? Yeah, that's the sort of, that's what I mean by practical. I mean something like things that you sort of, you're going to church and you wish you had done ahead of time. Uh, Other things that people thought of mentioned. Okay. Okay. Let me say in connection with that, uh, maybe we don't have, you know, a a lot of small children around now, but uh, I understand that stage. Uh, Later, not that many years ago, I was running around trying to get my parents taken care of on Sunday morning. So I understand there are things that you sort of have to do. I'm not saying, you know, don't do those. But it is good to think about practically how you can get yourself uh, to church without being like, so overwhelmed with all the thinking about all the other things that you should have done or, you know, things of the week that you could have taken care of. That's a, I mean, that's actually one of the things that Durham mentions as a practical matter um, and is something to, to consider. Yeah. Yes. Uh, maybe one is that is something that we all do together and that, I think it's happened pretty well here, but, be careful about our attitude and the way we approach those who may come in late or frazzled. You know, at least when you're going, this is just a whole, there's a lot of give and take here, right? But you yeah. know that you're going to get there and people are going to be gracious. Sure. And, you know, you're coming in, you're dragging a kid, he's got one shoe on, his mom didn't have his stuff there, can't, You know, he's half-dressed, right. they're late, and yep. if they know that in the community it's, it's all right if somebody helps with that and there's no crazy stares and all this, it's just just coming to the family. That's something we could be thinking about if we're on time, we've got our act together. Sure, that's very good, yeah. We don't like close the door, no, you're too late. We don't close the door of our hearts to say, you're not ready, we don't want you. That's that's good. Uh, I I want to give a sort of a conclusion to to this section, but um, do you have any thoughts on preparation? I went through a lot of things fairly quickly. Do you have any other thoughts or comments? Okay, let me just uh, conclude um, again with the point I started with and Durham makes this point. uh, So I'll read, uh, this is his eighth thing He says we should uh, deny our own strength as to the right discharge of this duty and instead make use of Christ. So that that is a reminder that uh, this is all a gracious gift of God. Uh, We can talk about what we're supposed to do. But in the end, we should cast ourselves completely on Christ and say, I may not be ready, but I want to worship you. And I'm depending on your spirit to bless uh, to bless in that worship. I think we won't take time to look at uh, John 16, but just just reflect on uh, the Trinitarian nation, nature of hearing the word. We talk about that with prayer. You know, we pray in the name of Christ, in the power of the spirit uh, to the father. Well, it's God who revealed himself to us by sending his son and the son, as Jesus says in John 16. You know, he gives the spirit so that we can know who he is. The spirit inspired the word. The spirit um, is always pointing to Christ and his glory so that this end of communion with God that we started out with is really realized because of the work of the spirit in giving the word, but also giving the gift of the preacher, which we talked about before in uh, Ephesians four in an earlier lesson and also in giving the gift of hearing. So when we talk about our duties, it's not like God sort of says, I've done my part. You're out there on your own. It is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who are ever at work in us to bless us, in the preaching of the Word, in the hearing of the Word, and uh, to the end of communion with Him. Okay, let's uh, let's close in prayer then.